Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, as we'll be looking at the last uh, I Am statement uh, in the Gospel of John. And uh, we are so excited and so thankful. Uh, I thought the music was excellent this morning. Uh, I hope that you were able to worship there at home. Um, and uh, I was able to worship here. Um, and uh, God has been good. Uh, but John 15, we're going to be looking at I Am the Vine. Some of you probably have heard this expression, face the music. Well, let me tell you how that phrase came about. Many years ago, a man wanted to play in the imperial orchestra. There's only one problem. He, he didn't know how to play an instrument. But he was a man of great wealth and great influence. And so he demanded to be allowed to join the orchestra and to perform in front of the king. And so the conductor agreed to let him sit on the second row, even though he didn't know how to play the instrument, even though he didn't know how to read music, and he was given a flute. And when the conductor would begin, he would raise his instrument, pucker his lips, and move his fingers. And he went through the motions playing, even though he never made a sound. This deception went on for two years, until one day, a new conductor took over the orchestra. And he told the orchestra that he was going to demand everyone to personally audition for his orchestra. He told the orchestra he wanted them to come to play so that he could weed out those that were good and those that weren't able to meet his standards. One by one, the players came and performed in his presence. This guy, though, he had frantic with worry because he knew he was a phony. He knew he couldn't play, so he pretended to be sick. So a doctor was ordered to go see him, to examine him. And the doctor found out that he was perfectly well, so he had to actually go and sit before the conductor to demonstrate his skill or lack thereof. And shamefacedly, the man had to confess that he was a fake. And that was the day that he had to face the music. I believe that there's many so-called Christians are going to, that are going through their motions of the Christian life. We know the right words to say. We know when to say it. We even call ourselves Christians. But the Bible tells us that there's coming a day when we'll have to stand before God. No one is going to be able to hide in the crowds. And the phonies will be separated by the true players. And in Matthew 25, it says, the Bible says that Jesus is going to separate or weed out the sheep from the goats. Matthew 12, 36 through, 7, through 37 tells us that God is going to judge every idle word that we speak. I want you to understand as a believer and even as an unbeliever, everything that you say matters. Everything that you post on Facebook matters. It says, I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account in the day of judgment. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. So as we're coming to the I am statement, you may be saying, well, what does that have to do with I am the vine? As you're going to find out, it has something to do with everything. Because we see a warning of remaining in Christ of making sure that we're abiding in Christ. The previous I am statements, which we, have, which we just talked about, was in John 14, before you get to this one, was made in the upper room. And you'll find out that supper has ended, and according to the end of John chapter 14, Jesus tells them to arise, let us go from here. So they, are, they have left the upper room, they are walking towards Gethsemane, and perhaps as they're walking towards Gethsemane, they begin to see vineyards, because vineyards are all over the place there in Israel. Maybe Jesus walked by the temple because at the temple there was an image of grapes etched into the temple. And as Jesus sees these things, 
He begins to say this in John 15, verse 1 and 2. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Real quick this morning, we're going to look at some things about the vineyard and about the vine and even about the branches. So first of all, we're going to look at the roles in the vineyard. The roles in the vineyard. There's three roles given in this chapter. The first is that Jesus is the true vine. We see that in verse 1. Once again, Jesus says, I am. If you remember when we've been studying this, he is claiming deity. He is saying that I am the existent one. I am the everlasting one. I am, I was, I always will be. And when you think of when Jesus says, I am, you've got to go all the way back to Exodus chapter 3. When God introduced himself to Moses in the burning bush, Moses said, who should I say sent me? And God says, tell them that my name is I am that I am. And so we see that Jesus is the great I am. We also realize that when Jesus, every time that Jesus made an I am statement, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those Jews knew that he was claiming deity and tried to have him killed. But why is it so important to believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man? Well, John 8, 24 says this, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So let me be so bold to say this this morning. If you don't believe in the deity of Jesus Christ, you're going to go to hell. No matter how religious you are, no matter how religious you seem, if you don't believe in this fundamental doctrine that Jesus is God and Jesus is man, you will die in your trespasses and sin. But when Jesus says that I am the true vine, it's an interesting statement. The word vine literally means root or trunk. And it's a fulfillment of prophecy that we see in Isaiah 53. It says, For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root or a vine out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. What this passage is saying is if you think about a root or you think about a vine, especially a root around here, that's not the attractive part of a plant or the tree. Nobody wants to look at those things. And in contrast to Israel, Israel used to be called the vine, but they were fruitless and faithless. And Jesus is saying, I am the real deal. I am the genuine one. So when Jesus says he is the vine, once again, go back to the thought process here as they're walking through vineyards. And so he's using an image that was very familiar to his followers. If you've been reading the Gospels lately, you realize that Jesus always used elements, used things that, that were in his surrounding or used things that were in view of those that he was teaching, and he would illustrate his teaching with those things. Let me give you a couple of them. Remember, he talks about water, weeds, seeds, soil, wheat, fig trees, flowers, birds, and grapes, or the vine, were everywhere and have always been central to Israel's agriculture and economy. In fact, the grapevine was the emblem of Israel. Grape or grapes appeared on coins during the period between Malachi, which is the last book in the Old Testament, and Matthew. At the time of Jesus, a golden vine, I told you this earlier, hung over the temple uh, at Israel, and it's recognizing it's Israel being the vine. But for the Jews, the image of vine and its fruit had a deeper spiritual symbolism. The grapevine represented Israel's fruitlessness to God. The disciples would automatically, when Jesus said, I am the true vine, they would have gone all the way to Psalms 80, verse 8, where we read this. 
It says, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. So you think about when they would celebrate Passover, when they were going out of Egypt, they always recognized that Jesus took the Jews by grace and transplanted Israel into Canaan and gave the nation, I want you to hear me, gave the nation every opportunity to benefit. Yet what the nation of Israel did time and time again was they neglected God. They neglected to keep the vine nourished. And as a result, they ended up going wild and losing their fruit. You can see this in Psalms 80 if you keep reading down to verse 12 through 13. God says, Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. But in Isaiah chapter 5, we see God is actually singing a, a song. It's a sad song about the lack of fruitlessness to his people. He says, let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard, talking about Israel. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it out of his stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes. Look what God says, it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What, what more was there to do for my vineyard? that I have not done. When I looked for it to yield grapes, it yielded wild grapes. This isn't the only sad song that God had for Israel. Jeremiah 2, we read, Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy, pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? You say, what does that have to do with anything that Jesus is saying that he is the vine? Well, Jesus is looking at his disciples who are Jewish, and he's saying, God used to think that Israel was the vine, but I'm telling you no more. I am the true vine. I am the one. God got tired of the hypocrisy, the greed, the, the, the Israelites going after all these other gods, and he never saw the fruit of righteousness, justice, and mercy. And we need to understand when Jesus says he is the vine, he's also the lifeblood for the branches. He is what vitally unites us to the Father. I hope your mind goes to a, a book in the New Testament, Colossians, where it says, Therefore, as you receive Christ the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So the very first role that we see in the vineyard is Jesus. He is the true vine. Then He says that His Father is the vine dresser. Literally, His Father is the one who tills or takes care of the vineyard. And the vine dresser's main task is to take care of the vineyard uh, so that he may see fruit grow. And a vineyard is planted for a different reason than we'd plant a flower garden. You plant a, a garden to see flowers bloom. You see, you plant a vineyard to grow fruit, and that's so important. Then you see that there's branches. And Jesus is very specific here. We are the branches. Christians are the branches. Jesus said in verse 5, I am the vine. You, looking at the disciples, are the branches. Jesus is looking at the disciples saying, you are the branches, or we'd say, we believers are the branches. Because in verse 2 he says, every branch that's in me, the only way that you can be in Christ is to be a believer. Let me give you the context here. And I was so thankful to help, uh, have Dr. Pinson help me with this. He states this, the natural reading of the text is that believers are pictured as branches who are growing out of a vine, the image of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus' father is pictured as the vine dresser who tends and cultivates the vine. As branches in the vine, believers are in vital union with Christ, growing out of him, drawing their life from him. So real quick, here's what we have. We have Jesus saying that he is the true vine. Then we have uh, Jesus saying that the heavenly father is the vine dresser. And then Jesus says that all the branches in him are growing out of him, are, are, are coming from him. We are the branches. So we see that. Then the second thing we see is the responsibilities in the vineyard or the responsibility, first of all, of the vine dresser. God has basically two jobs as it comes to being the vine dresser. And they're not very pleasant. The first one is not very pleasant, and that's the one I'm going to discuss first. First thing that we see is he cast off. Look at verse 2. Every branch, Jesus says, that's in me that does not bear fruit, the vine dresser, takes away. If you drop down to verse 6, he says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Jesus is very specific here, explaining what happens to branches who do not bear fruit. One of the commentators that I was reading, Ellicott, stated this. He says, we're not to interpret the words as they've been interpreted before, saying that this is of the unbelieving world or of the Jews, but of Christians in name who claim to be the branches of the true vine. These, the husbandman or the vine dresser, watches day by day. He knows them. He reads the inner realities of their lives. And everyone that is fruitless, he takes away. Dr. Pinson explained this process of casting away in John 15. He said, The branches will be thrown away, withered up, and be thrown into the fire and burned. Obviously, being thrown away means that the gardener, God the Father, removes them from Christ the vine. They are no longer in union with Christ. They wither up and die and are burned. Thus, they can never be reconstituted as branches and placed back in the union with the vine. You say, what does all this have to do? God desires, please get this, God's desire has always been for his people to be fruitful. And a Christian who does not produce fruit is a contradiction in terms. God shows us his expectations of, of bearing fruit in Matthew 21, 19. Some of you are going to remember this. Jesus is walking and he sees a fig tree by the wayside. And he went to it and there was nothing on it, no fruit, just leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. Now, was Jesus doing that to be mean to the fig tree? No, the disciples were watching and he's letting them know. And please get this. It is unacceptable and unnatural for a follower of Christ to be unfruitful. May we heed the warning that Paul gave to the Gentiles. If you remember, God kept on telling Israel, you're my chosen nation. He gave them every opportunity to be fruitful. And they kept going back from him. So when Jesus came, he said, not only am I going to extend eternal life or, or this salvation to the, to the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. But Paul tells the Gentiles, don't get so caught up. Don't get so puffed up. Don't start bragging. Because in Romans 11, he says this, branches were broken off, Israel, that we might be the Gentiles grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Look what he says, do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fail severity. But towards you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. This isn't a pleasant part that God does. But I want you to understand, every 
thing that you and I do is important to God. He expects us to be fruitful, not fruitless. So we see that God cast off those that are unfruitful. But then he does a process that is painful. He prunes. He cuts back. Look there at verse 2. He says, in every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. So that it'll do what? Bring more fruit. Now, if you know anything about the pruning process, it is done with a knife. Pruning is done so that, you, that those who bear fruit can bear more fruit. Good pruning creates a strong root system, improves the health of the vine, and most importantly, increases the yield. Dead wood, wood must be ruthlessly removed, and live wood must be cut back drastically. We as believers have been born again to reproduce not only fruit, but the only way that can happen is through this painful process of pruning. Please get this, if you don't get anything out of the message. God's number one concern is not for you and I to be happy, but to be holy. God will do whatever it takes to make you and I more like Christ. So what does he do? He removes anything in my life that is unnecessary. And he does it sometimes to avoid unnecessary injury if I allow him. See, even though God means it for good, it's painful. Let me give you an example. David, in Psalms 119, he talks about being pruned. He says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I obey your word. He's saying, listen, I was running astray. I was going away from God, and yet the word of God afflicted me. Then he says this, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your degrees. We all know this. We as humans in our deprived state will always follow the path of least resistance. I want you to think about a wild vine, a branch. You know what it does? It will grow rapidly, but it will not necessarily grow as it should. And if it's left to itself, guess what it does? It heads straight to the ground, to the mud and the mildew, and the vine dresser has to come and pick it up. And Jesus Christ picked us up as we were wild. He picks us up and he prunes us, washes us off because all of us tend to go astray. Let me ask you this. Are you playing around in the mud and mildew of sin? I am a firm believer. It's on our side. So if you're watching this, you should know that we are free will Baptist. I am a firm believer that God gave every man the free will to choose. I'm also a firm believer that after salvation, God did not take away that free will. God gives me the Holy Spirit to follow after Him, but I still choose whether I'm going to follow God or not. Hear me. That's why so many people are pretending to be believers, and they're really not, because they're pursuing after other things. Let me ask you, are you playing around in the mud and mildew of sin? If so, your union with Jesus Christ is conflicted. So here's what God does. He uses a pruning process. We call it discipline. God uses discipline to prune us. I don't like it. You don't like it. I've said this many times. Whenever my parents were going to whip me, you know, you've probably heard your dad say something like, 
you know, this hurts me more than it's going to hurt you, which is a big lie. It's really not. It's, it's going to hurt you more than it's going to hurt them. But they whipped you or they disciplined you because you were doing something wrong and they were trying to prevent you not to do that. All of us do this. If you had small children and they went to a stove and you know the stove was hot, if they reached for it, you smacked their hand to let them know, no, don't do that. Because if you keep going in this, this way, you're going to get burnt. That's what Hebrews 12, 11 says. It says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful. We all could say amen to that. It's not pleasant. But I want you to notice what it says here. But later it yields the perfect fruit. Do you catch that? The only way that I can produce fruit is I have to be pruned. Fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. All of us can think of people who we consider um, to be the most admirable Christians. And those that we consider the most admirable Christian or fruitful Christians, when we look at their lives and their testimony, they will tell us of painful experiences, extreme trials and suffering. And can I tell you, that's how God gets us to grow more fruit. Romans 5 says this. It gives us this promise. And not only talking about fruit, not only do we glory in tribulations or this pruning process, knowing that tribulations produce, and I'm going to say these are fruit, perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's given to us. Think about that verse for a second. When we're going through trials and tribulation, God is trying to produce in us more fruit, and that fruit is perseverance, character, and hope. And I love what it says there. It says that during this time, God's love is not, not gone from us. It's actually being poured on us even more. Now, as I think about the pruning process and trials, everybody's mind went to James chapter 1, where he says, knowing that the testing or the trying of your faith produces, and I'm going to say fruit again, patience. But let patience have its perfect work so that you will be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. What is he saying? God prunes us so that we can bear more fruit. Once again, God is not concerned about your happiness. He's concerned about your holiness. So not only does God use discipline, God uses his word to prune us. I'm just going to give you one quick verse on this, but it's so powerful because I'm going to be talking about the word of God here in just a minute. Hebrews 4.12 actually talks about the pruning process. Look what it says. It says the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. You could even put pruning knife there because look what it does. It pierces even to the division of the soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of thoughts. Here's what the word of God does. The Word of God pierces my heart and teaches me how to be more like God. Also teaches me areas in my life that I need to work on. If you look at John 15, 3, Jesus says this, You guys are clean. Why are they clean? Because they have been hearing the Word of God. It is so powerful. So we've seen the roles in the vineyard. We've seen the responsibility of the vine dresser. Well, what's my responsibility as a branch? I'm so glad you asked. This is the main point of the whole text. If you don't get anything else, get this. The responsibility of the branch is simply this, to remain in Christ. See, some of you think that the main point of this text is that Christians bear fruit. You can't bear fruit if you don't remain in Christ. Look at verse 4 and 5. And if you do this, underline every time you see the word abide or remain. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him 
bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If you and I want to bear fruit, if we want to grow, some of you are saying, well, I'm concerned about my salvation. You won't be if you remain in Christ, abide in Christ. Here's what the word abide means. This is so important too. To abide means to stay, which means I can leave, to dwell, to remain. I love this one better, to settle in for the long haul. This word abide, what I just shared with you, is used 11 times in John 15. It is 40 times in the Gospel of John. This is the expectation that Jesus has for all his believers. And what I'm about to say is going to make some of you mad, but I want you to hear me. God is very serious about you abiding in Him. Now, it's interesting to read this text and go, you know what, I wish I had a commentary on how to really describe this because, you know, preacher, I don't really agree with how you did it. Well, that's great because I'm coming straight from the Word of God, but Jesus is going to explain it in verses 9 on. So you would say, well, how do I remain in Christ? Let's look at verse 9. First of all, in order to remain like Christ or in Christ, to know that you're remaining is you're going to love like Jesus. Look at verse 9. As the Father loves me, I also have loved you. Then look what he says. Abide in my love. How do you know that you're a believer? You love like Jesus. You quit loving people based on your standards. You quit loving people based on your conditions. You love all people at all times unconditionally. Is that not what Jesus told his disciples in John 13? He says, this is how people are going to know you're my disciples, if you love one another as I have loved you. And can I tell you what we need now during this quarantine time, what we need now in this world, what we need now in this community, in this church, is for us to love like Jesus. And the only way that I can love like Jesus, I have to know who Jesus is, I have to be in his word, abiding in his word, so that I'll grow in his love. Second thing, it's found in verse 10 and verse 14. Abiding in Christ, remaining in Christ means I'm going to obey His Word. It is not enough just to read the Word of God. You have to obey the Word of God. Look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, this is so important. I think the biggest word in the Bible is if. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Then look at verse 14. You are my friends. Here's the... Big word, if you do whatever I command you. Please hear me. Jesus is concerned about what you do with his word. It is not good enough just to read it. You have to apply it and obey it. You don't have to worry about, am I, am I saved, am I lost, if you are abiding in the word of God. Because the word of God is powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It will teach you. It will guide you. It will show you. I know I'm looking at the camera, but please look at me. You are not a believer if you never get in the Word of God. If you get on Facebook more than you get in His book, this means that you're not abiding in Christ. The most important thing that you and I can do is spend time in His Word. Let me ask you, when you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing that you do? Do you get on your phone and look at Facebook? Do you go watch the news? Do you go grab a cup of coffee? Well, grab a cup of coffee and grab the Word of God and read it. Get in the Word of God, and you will remain in Christ. Here's another one, and there's so many other ones I could do, but I'm just trying to use John chapter 15. 
Walk by the Spirit. The promise that Jesus gives in John 14, John 15, John 16 is the Holy Spirit. He says, But when the Helper comes, the Holy Spirit, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the mouth, He will testify of me. Later on in Scripture, you're going to find out that you and I should be led by the Spirit, of course, according to Galatians 5. But we also know, according to Galatians 5, that we'll either be led by the flesh or we'll be led by the Spirit. Let me ask you, are you being led by the Spirit? When you're walking through this, this thing called the Christian life and you're convicted of a sin, do you keep on and remaining in that sin or do you confess it and forsake it? If you confess it and forsake it and repent of it, that means you're being led by the Spirit. If you don't, that means you're being led by the flesh. Notice, real quick, according to John chapter 15, we have to be completely dependent upon Jesus Christ. He says, without me, you can do nothing. So I have to trust in Jesus. In, in our text, please hear me. If I'm not in Christ, I cannot bear fruit. If I don't abide in Christ, I can't love like Jesus. If I don't abide in Christ, I can't live like Jesus. I have to be completely dependent upon Him. So what's the point? Look at verse 8. The point of this whole text is this. By this the Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. Here's this saying again, and this is how you know you're my disciple. Go back to John 13, remember? You're my disciple. People know you're my disciple by the love that you have. Now Jesus says, you'll also be known that you're my disciple if you abide in me. Because by abiding in me, you're going to glorify God. Let me ask you real quick. Are you abiding in Christ? See, if all you did as I read this text, because you may have a certain belief system different than mine, if all that you did is get mad and you not really listen to the fact that the whole point of the message is abiding in Christ, that means there's something spiritually wrong there. The whole point is to abide in Christ. Get in His Word. Some of you are saying, you know what? I just don't feel like I, I am abiding in Christ. I haven't been abiding in Christ. Here's the good news. Jesus wanted you to hear this message so that you'll repent and that you'll turn to Him. Jesus knows whether you're reading His Word or not. Jesus knows if you're praying or not. Jesus knows if you're being faithful or not. Jesus knows if you're being fruitful or not. Jesus knows. And he wanted you to hear this message. James tells us this. Just come to God. If you draw near to God, you know what? He's going to draw near to you. Just repent and say, God, I know that I am, I am in you. I believe that I'm a believer, but I haven't been faithful. I haven't been fruitful. Well, confess. The playwright George Bernard Shaw was asked by a reporter late in his life, it said that he asked, if you could live your life over and be anybody that you've known or any person from history, who would you be? And I love his statement. That's what he says. I would choose to be the man George Bernard Shaw could have been, but never was. Can I tell you, when you abide in Christ, you become the man and the woman, the child of God that he wants you to be. When we think of the word fruit, I also think of the word works. And here's why. In Ephesians 2, it says this, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God beforehand told us to walk in. It's time for some of us to do a personal inventory to make sure that we're connected to the vine. Can I tell you, there's coming a day, church, and God has given us an opportunity this time. God has given us an opportunity, I've said this since this started, to make the whole world stop and just do personal inventory. Are you connected to the vine? Or are you pretending to be connected to the vine? Are you truly connected to Christ? And if you're connected to Christ, can I ask you, are you living in such a way that gives glory to God or does it give glory to self? When I am faithfully abiding in Christ, hear me, I don't have to worry about being fruitful. It'll come. When I am faithfully abiding in Christ, I don't have to worry about all these other things. It will come because as I am in Christ, He will flow through me. Some of you this morning, some of you need to repent of some things, maybe some sin, maybe some things that you've allowed, maybe worry during this time. You've realized that during this time, you've worried more about your, your occupation, your job, your finances, more than you have about abiding in Christ. Some of us have been more worried about our health than abiding in Christ. The most important thing right now for you and I to understand is, am I abiding in Christ? Some of you in the sound of my voice, you know that you're not a believer. You, you, can, you, you know I'm going to ask that you just repent of your sins. Confess that Jesus is Lord. Reach out to us. Contact us so that we can help you. Give you a gift from our church that will help you in this Christian walk. But those believers that you know that you're not abiding in Christ, it's so good that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Please hear me. If you don't get anything else, get this. Jesus is more concerned about you than you are about yourself. Jesus is more concerned about your spiritual walk and he will do whatever it takes to keep you in the vine. I want to ask you that you pray just right now where you're at. I know it may be weird being around your family, being, being around the coffee table, the couch, but can I tell you it'd probably be good for some of your children, maybe your spouse to see you, say, hey, it's time. It's time that I get serious about my relationship with Christ. It's time that I get serious. It's time that we start abiding in the Word of God. And just kneel where you are, and I'm going to pray. And you pray as well. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, God, you gave this passage. You, you told these disciples this for a reason. The most important thing that they could do was to continue in the faith, to remain in you. God, all of us realize that the devil throws all kinds of things at us to get us to up and leave, to get us to walk away, to get us to focus on things that are not as important as your word or as abiding. Father, we all have to agree that that word abiding is very important. Eleven times in John chapter 15. Abide in Christ. God, may we make sure, first of all, that we are in Christ that we truly have a relationship with you. Not that we've been going through the motions. Father, some of us have been playing church and now, hey, it's out because we can't even go to church. It's out. We need to get serious about abiding in, in the vine. God, I'm so thankful that your word convicts me. I don't like it at times. Father, I don't even like it sometimes when a preacher's preaching and it convicts me, but it shows me that the Holy Spirit is living inside me. 
which means that you're still abiding and you're wanting me to abide in you. So, Father, may we confess whatever it is that we've put before you. God, I think it's time for our nation to repent. God, we could talk about our nation, but I also believe it's time for our church to repent, our families to repent, and to make sure that we are abiding in Christ. Because when all is said and done, I hope all of us can say, man, I abided in Christ. I loved like Jesus. I obeyed his word, and I walked in his spirit. Father, we thank you for this time. We love you, and we praise you. In your son's precious and glorious name, amen. We want to thank you so much for watching this morning. Just to give you a couple of updates that are very important, please don't forget to continue to uh, give, uh, and you can give through three different ways, and we'll have that on the information for you a little bit later. Please continue to give. We appreciate you doing that. God has blessed our church during this time. And as I've said, even on Facebook, we as a church are going to continue to be a blessing to our community during this time. But as you watched, if God spoke to you um, and you don't feel led to put it on the comment section, please reach out to me or somebody here at the church so that we can pray with you, so that we can keep you accountable, um, because that's what we're here for. Know that God is blessing, and we are looking for the day that we gather once again in this building and worship God collectively. But until then, may we remain in Christ. Amen.